Hi everyone. Uh, good to see you guys. Since we changed the policy back to mask on, um, it's a little more difficulty figuring out who you are. But if you're new and I'm not recognizing you, uh, welcome to Common Life Church. Uh, my name is Aiden, a pastor at CLC. Um, hope you are doing well. Uh, just a quick announcement, although uh, Matt will <clears throat> talk about this too and when he gives announcement, but I uh, just want to highlight the fact that uh, just following up from last week's members meeting, we'll be having a CLC all-women's meeting uh, on August 22nd. Uh, it'll be uh, immediately after the service. And uh, like, like we talked about at the meeting, I uh, just want to use the opportunity to uh, afford Nathan and I to hear from uh, you know, sisters in our church and uh, have good dialogue and grow in the area as a church. So uh, please mark that on your calendar. And uh, we'll also have some uh, questionnaire questions as well before the meeting so we can um, hear you out even better than if you were to, if we just had the meeting itself. So uh, please be on the lookout for that. Uh, so just wanted to highlight that before we go on. Uh, today's passage is found in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 26. It's rather a long passage, so I won't be reading it right now. I'll just um, go through the, the passage as I go along in the sermon. Uh, but just for your reference, it'll be Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 26. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll go into uh, the time of the Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, who you are. Thank you that you are truly a sovereign God. Um, our smiles and laughters, uh, as well as our tears and Heartaches are not hidden uh, before you. But not only that, those are not uh, accidents in your plan. So we trust you because you're good. And uh, I just pray that you would show more of your goodness uh, through this time together as we hear from you. What an awesome privilege that we get to hear your very voice through uh, these words that you have written through your inspired writers. So we pray that you would open our hearts. These are living words already. It's our hearts that need to be open. So may you uh, do so right now. And uh, show me grace, Lord, as I uh, attempt to preach your word um, in a jar of clay. Uh, may I be able to humbly submit to your word first and communicate this precious word of yours uh, clearly, so that we can all be built up as a church. But thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, quick question before uh, we go any further. How many of you enjoy having guests over at your place? About half, okay. The other half 
that's all right. I mean, that's your privacy, so I won't ask any further. Um, but you know, in order to have guests over at your place, you you have to uh, prepare your place, right? You know, otherwise, you know, the meeting won't be as good. Or if if the guests are staying over for a couple of nights or something, then you know, you don't want to give any inconvenience to your guests. Uh, I say that because uh, today's passage is about the disciples trying to get their house ready for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So we'll look at what the disciples do in order to prepare for uh, the, the promised Holy Spirit coming to the church and to their hearts. Uh, three points, as usual. Uh, these are all the things that the disciples do as they wait. By the way, the, the title of the sermon is While We Wait. So while they wait, they do these three things. Pray, trust, and act. First, pray. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey away. So in the passage before this, which we looked at uh, two weeks ago, we saw the, the resurrected Jesus giving the disciples a mission to be his witnesses in the whole world, and then Jesus uh, went into heaven. Uh, but he also, at that time, commanded them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit instead of moving on and get out there right away. And in the verse that we just read, uh, we see that the disciples are obeying the command and they're actually uh, returning to Jerusalem to stay there. And verse 13 says, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Uh, these are the disciples, Peter and John, James and Andrew, uh, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. So here we see the, the 11 disciples who we just, uh, whose names we, we, that we just read in this verse. Uh, they enter the house they were staying at and they go up to the upper room. Meaning they are really determined to stay put. Again, in obedience to uh, the command of Jesus. So now the question is, as they wait, what will they do? We see what they do in verse 14. It says, All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what do they do? While they wait for the Holy Spirit, they pray. And, and they're not alone as they pray. The 11 disciples are not alone by themselves, but they are also with the faithful women who are also following Jesus, uh, as well as uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and uh, the brothers of Jesus. And here's a beautiful picture of the early church. We see the, the church united across genders and statuses, you know, whether you're apostles, a biological family of Jesus, or just a follower of Jesus. You know, they're all united in prayer. So again, while they wait for the Spirit, you know, while perhaps there is no spectacular, spectacular things going on at, in the upper room, while you know, they may have some you know, lukewarmness in their hearts, 
you know, while there's no fruits in their ministry, uh, these disciples are praying together. And as they seek the Lord together, you know, they will get to recalibrate the vision for the kingdom and they'll receive the strength to persevere and be joyful. And as they do this together regularly, uh, they will be a team because they're following the same goal together. Again, the church pray together as a united body while they wait. Quick question. How many of you get hangry easily? Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being honest. I get hangry pretty easily too. Um, so in that topic, just imagine the scenario, okay? Let's say you and your friends are on a road trip and uh, you, the, the driver keeps missing the exit. So you and your friends are just like really hungry. You have to go to a you know, restaurant and the, the driver is not good with that, the direction. So now you, you guys are getting hangry and you guys are getting, each other, uh, getting on each other's nerves and getting mad at each other. And then finally, you exit and find the restaurant and start eating. And as the blood sugar level goes up, all of a sudden, you start smiling and giggling, and you're all good. And that happens pretty often, right? I say that because prayer as a church is like food. Meaning, when we lack prayer together as a church, our blood sugar level spiritually will go down and we'll easily get irritated by one another because prayer as a food by the presence of God feeds us and fills our hearts so that we are filled with his love and be able to interact with one another in a way that edifies one another. So therefore, when we do pray together, again, just like when you eat food, when after you get hangry, all of a sudden your vision will be clearer about God's kingdom, and again, the church will be united. And that's why Luke, the author, is encouraging, or rather Peter and the disciples are encouraging us to pray as a church as we wait for his promise. And here I'm not trying to say that, you know, the application of this is that we increase the number of prayer meetings, uh, because right now, as we try to assess our culture, I don't want any uh, hint of legalism that can burn us out, and we don't want that kind of pressure to pray. But what I do want to say from this passage is that I just want to encourage us that whenever we get, get any opportunities to pray together, whether in life groups or in other prayer meetings, that we have this mindset that we are there to get fed. By God's presence. And when you have that, all of a sudden, no more burden of prayers. You don't feel burdened or pressure to pray, but rather, it'll be more joy and the opportunity for us to contribute to the unity of the church. And that's what I want to encourage on. And I just want to say, therefore, let's grow together. We want to be a praying church. And that's a growing process, and I just want to encourage that that can happen as we wait for uh, 
God's promises and for our healing as a church as well. So pray while we wait. Second, trust. Verse 15 says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, So here, Luke is painting us the scene. He's a great storyteller, as you can see already. He's painting a picture of the scene for us. And here, apparently, there are 120 people gathered in that room. And the Peter, as a leader figure of this uh, group, uh, stood up. And he's about to address uh, these people. And what will he say? That's what's coming up next. Verse 16 and 17. Peter says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. In verse 17 that, that we just read, we see that Judas Iscariot was an important figure. He was one of the 12 disciples, 12 apostles. And therefore, uh, you know, when he turned out to be the betrayer of Jesus, uh, who handed him over to the enemies and you know, he was killed on the cross, uh, that must have shocked the rest of the disciples. That must have devastated the team. They must have been saying, how can this happen? He's, he's our brother. How can he do this? Is there any hope for our ministry? Can we go on? Can God's kingdom continue? Can we succeed? Uh, just to kind of help you understand the, the sentiment, perhaps, uh, one of my favorite TV series is 24. There's that picture. Um, well, how many of you know that show? Okay. About half. It's an old show now, so I understand that. But each season, so it, this is a series, a, a show about fighting terrorism. So Jack Bauer is this hero of the story. He, he fights terrorists. And it, each season, there's always a mole, a spy within the, the counterterrorism team. And the moles uh, tend to nearly destroy the team because they have the inside information and they have power to hand the team over to the enemies. And even after the moles are found out and dealt with, the team is usually left with devastation and mistrust of one another because they don't know who, who else is the mole in the team. And that can lead the team to, you know, doubts and, you know, doubting about the success of the team. And that's what's happening with the disciples. You know, their colleague, their dear brother, Judas, betrayed and dealt a big blow for the team. So what do, what do they do? What do we do? And to that, in the verses that we just read, Peter is saying that God already knew this would happen. As he says in verse 16, that by the Holy Spirit and through the words of David and other Old Testament writers, God predicted that someone like Judas would betray the righteous one, Jesus. One example, Psalm 41.9 says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. 
Though this is David, of course, but this is pointing to the ultimate David, Jesus, who is bemoaning the betrayal of his confidant, betrayal of his close friend. So again, this is predicted. And by this, Peter is essentially saying that God is sovereign over evil and oppositions to his kingdom. He's never surprised by evil, but he orchestrates it to be used for good, for his glory and for the benefit of his people. So Judas, by his own sinful intent, betrayed Jesus and he was murdered on the cross. But God turned that cross into the source of salvation. And the story goes on, especially with the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter gives further example of God's sovereignty in next three verses. Verse 18 and 19 says, Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the, in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldama, that is, field of blood. So there, if you go to Matthew 27, he gives a little more detailed account, and he calls this field, uh, field of blood uh, a cemetery where uh, people use for graves. And then now look, jump over to verse 20. Uh, the first part of verse 20, it says, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. So Luke is quoting from Psalm 69, 25. Uh, it's a psalm about this righteous person crying out to God to deliver him from the enemies and to judge the enemy. And as part of the judgment, uh, God will leave the enemy's camp you know, deserted, and no one that's living would live in this uh, camp. So you see, going back to verse, verses 18 and 19, Fulfillment has come in Judas. First, Judas was punished in a rather gruesome way in verse 18, like talking about his bowels, you know, gushing out. Uh, this shows the gruesomeness of his sin. You know, he handed over the innocent Jesus to be abused and killed and murdered on the cross. So there's a due punishment there. There's a warning for those who not, do not follow Jesus. And but second, probably more in an obvious way, that the land that uh, he bought, or more, uh, Matthew says it was more so his money that, uh, that the Jewish leaders used to buy this field, that land would be uninhabited as a cemetery. Again, fulfillment. God knew this would happen, and he had a plan to deal with it and move the story forward. What that means is, in that absolute sovereignty over any situation, and especially the evil in our lives, we can trust God. We can trust Him. Now, I live in the city of Minnetonka. It's the west of Minneapolis. And to get to church, even this morning, I take uh, 394, probably next slide. There you go. Uh, so I take 394 to get to uh, e uh, 94 East, right? And 
I don't want to criticize anybody, but they have they made the ramp to 94 to be one lane. So there's always traffic jam. Always, almost always. This morning, praise God, no traffic jam, but almost always. And so what I do is I just look ahead and see that there's any traffic jam going into the ramp. I exit into that that exit, um, like Dunwoody Boulevard and so on, and and go directly to the, the local road, and that, that leads me to uh, 94, skipping the junction there. Uh, and, and that saves me about 10 or 30 minutes even sometimes. And I'm sharing that because God sort of has that kind of vision. I explained why I say sort of. Because for his vision is more so, uh, I'll say, bird eye or even drone vision. Meaning that he knows the whole story. He knows the whole history of the world and each one of our lives. So whenever there's any obstacle ahead, he's never surprised by it because he knows it. And he's already chosen the path for us. He created a path for us already to move his purpose forward and reach the destination. That's his sovereignty. There's no way God's purpose would fail. And we know that, especially in tough times. So what that means is, I know it's hard to hear, especially for those of us who might be struggling right now with uh, some great pain. So please don't hear me being insensitive, but perhaps when we go through really hard times, that might be the opportunity God is giving us to see that God is not done with us, that God is wanting us to trust him, that he will move our story forward somehow. Life get, gets really hard sometimes, but God is never done with us. He will always move us forward for his purposes. And that is also true for our church too. God always knew the past, present, and future challenges of CLC. He was never surprised by anything that we have, have been going through. So we can always trust him as a church as well. So we trust while we wait. Third and last, act while we wait. Verse 20, the second part, says, let another take his office. So here, Peter quotes another verse from the book of Psalm, this time uh, from Psalm 109, uh, verse 8. Here, David is once again calling for God to punish the evildoer, but he goes a little further this time. He asks God to put someone else in the enemy's camp or uh, powerful office. So, and, and now, going back to our story, this again points to the punishment of Judas on the one hand, but also gives the disciples a command about putting someone else in Judas's role in the ministry of Jesus. So Peter goes on, verse 21 and 22. He says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become 
with us a witness to his resurrection. So the person who is to replace Judas must be someone who has been part of Jesus' ministry from the beginning to the end for the entirety. And the reason is because he has to be an eyewitness uh, witness to uh, the world so that his preaching will be powerful and his message would be based on the fact, history, not uh, just legends or some good stories. And because of that, you and I can read the Bible because those the New Testament books were written by the apostles, the eyewitnesses, or their associates. We benefit from that. So anyways, so th- that's the qualification of the, the replacement of Judas. And the question now is, how do you find this person and how do you decide on a person like that? And here's what the disciples did. So we uh, finished the passage with that. Verses 23 through 26. It says, And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So what they did was they found two candidates first, Joseph and Matthias, and they prayed that God, who is sovereign again over all, who already decided who would be the replacement, uh, that he would show that decision. That was their prayer. And they cast lots, which was the Old Testament way of surrendering the decision to God. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he is now the 12th member of the, uh, the discipleship. And here, I want to point out that the fact that the church now has 12 disciples again is significant because Jesus originally chose 12 disciples because, intentionally, because the the number 12 corresponds to the, the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus was starting a new, new nation, new people of God because the Israelites disobeyed and failed the mission to be a blessing to all nations. And that was the purpose. But then, as we read, unfortunately, Judas transgressed and forfeited his apostleship. So all of a sudden, uh, there was a hole in the leadership, right, of this new people of God. But now, the disciples addressed the issue and they dealt with the damage by replacing Judas with Matthias, according to the scriptures. So now, the foundation for the church is restored. The leadership is now ready to receive the Spirit and fulfill the mission to the world. That's the significance of it. Twelve, number twelve. Now they're complete. Now they're ready. And here, I think the lesson, the main lesson that Luke wants us to take home with is this. You know, while the disciples are staying in Jerusalem, you know, while they're waiting for the Spirit, the, 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 uh, what we see there is that they were not idle. You know, they were not just being dormant as they're waiting for Spirit. What they did was they actively searched the scriptures to examine their situation to, 
to understand what's wrong with them, and they worked to make the community better. They, in other words, uh, what that means is that waiting on God does not mean to just sit there or just even praying. Praying is good, we established that, but not just praying, but you act on what's good for God's kingdom according to the scriptures. We are to do something as we wait. You know, last week, uh, Pastor Seichi came to, you know, preach here last Sunday. And he flew from Chicago uh, here on Saturday, and then he flew back on Wednesday. And, uh, and we had a great time. Uh, my wife, dad, called our time together a guy's version of slumber party. Uh, we stayed up till like, I don't know, like three or four. And we just like talked and talked and talked. And we're just like giggling and like, oh man, it's so fun. So I was like, man, so fun. But I mean, all jokes aside, I was just getting really blessed. I was just getting really encouraged and uh, ministered to by this friend of mine. Uh, it's a great guy and he's so encouraging. And I was really so blessed. But then I thought about what would have happened if I didn't prepare my house for him. Uh, meaning, you know, we've been busy this summer, so our basement was a little messy, uh, like lots of dust and just random things like, you know, sets toys everywhere too. And then uh, we got so lazy that all the unfolded laundry was poured onto the, the, the bed downstairs. So Seisha could not sleep on that, right? If I just left it like that, I don't think we would have had good time together. He might have just got angry and left or something. I mean, he probably wouldn't have done that, but, you know, it wouldn't have been a good time, as good of a time, right? But then because I prepared, I, I like, spent at least three hours vacuuming and wiping the, the, the bathroom downstairs and not folding all the laundry yet, but just moved the whole thing up and then, put, you know. So we did that. So I, three hours, I did that. And then the result was... You know, we we're ha having a great time as friends. Just like that, the Bible is calling us to put our house in order as we wait for God's promises and God's blessings. Not that, you know, God will leave us or you know, forsake us. No, God will remain with us forever. But it's our hearts that are the problems, right? We're now ready to receive, you know, God's strengthening and blessings, even as a church. So just like the disciples put their house in order you know, by uh, re uh, noticing the problem of the missing disciple and uh, acted to replace Judas with Matthias using scriptures, we also are to act and see the problems and humbly admit them and find solutions and work together for the growth of the church. And to me, this is very applicable for our church. And I know we've been talking about this all summer, so forgive me if, if you are sick of this hearing, sick of hearing this over and over. But we do need healing. We do need to go into the future really wanting more of God's blessings and presence and to seeing how God works through some of the brokenness that we've we've been feeling as a community this summer. And if you think about it, though, 
much of healing and the uncertainty of future is out of our control, right? I mean, we don't know the future, and how can we really heal us? That's not, you know, that's above our pay, pay grade. So we pray for sure about more bigger things. But as we wait for God to work, there are things we can do according to the scriptures. You know, we can you know, stand up and see, again, I'm going to admit, what are the problems? What are the damages that we have to identify? Just like the disciples identified the problem of the betrayal of Judas. And we humbly try to seek solution together. And there was a whole reasoning behind, you know, last week's members meeting and all the upcoming meetings that we're going to be doing together in order to work together. And I also want to point out that, you know, Welcome Week is a month away. And uh, to me, this, this is a great opportunity for our church to be missional. And I do admit that we have to do better in other missional approaches for other demographics, so we'll work on that. But I think when I think of the Welcome Week coming up, it is a mission that we can be passionate about because we will be welcoming students, freshmen and returning students, for them to hear the gospel eventually. And, and as we think about that, we cannot obviously control their responses, right? We cannot control their hearts. But what we can do, that's gospel, but what we can do, again, is, so to speak, put our house in order. What can we do to um, make our community better, to be welcoming to new souls? What else can we do? There are many things that we can come up with together. But the point is, as we wait, as we pray, let's work together. And I know there's a lot of hope. Um, just one quick blessing that I felt this, this week was, I mean, many of you, um, you know, volunteered to serve. Definitely not saying, you know, those of you who, who haven't signed up, I'm not saying that you know, you're in the wrong. Please don't take it that way. But I was glad to see many of us volunteering for many opportunities. That was a huge blessing for me. I really appreciate that. And to me, that's a good sign that we can um, be thankful for. And as we move into the future, let's continue to work together, continue to love each other, and let God work through it all. And God will take care of everything else. So let's work together as a community. Let's pray together. You know, even as I just exhorted us to uh, work together and uh, work, do something. Uh, but I do want to end on the note of what God does because we do not want to ever end up in a place where we rely on our programs and what we do. It's all God. He's the sovereign one who works through our mere successes and failures. Wow. So we can be confident in all that we do. Just want to be faithful. So can we rest in His sovereignty together? That right now, wherever you are, He is with you in Christ. And He will never let go of you in Christ. 
may we just bask in that unending presence and love for us. Can we do that? And uh, we'll close with a song. Let's pray together. Can we just pray, uh, just practice uh, just that mindset together right now of seeing prayer, corporate prayer like this as God's way of feeding us. That as we pray together, as we just sit under God's word, having common goal of hearing from Him, all these things is God's grace, God's means of grace of feeding us, maturing us, and strengthening us. Because God is good to us and for us. So right now as we close in prayer, uh, let's practice that. Let's uh, have the mindset of receiving from God. God, feed me. Please pour out the water of your spirit to my dry heart. I need you. I want to. I don't. Be, I want to. I want to belong to this community. I want to belong to what you're doing in my life. Can we do that? Just come before Him, as we are, as His children, and our close for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful that we are hidden in Christ. In Him, we're already accepted. We don't have to earn anything from You. You already have given us everything that we need in Christ. And in that confidence, in that security, we come to You to receive more of Your grace, more of Your blessings, to be able to stand and do what You want us to do. Stand and be faithful to you in all we do, not just in church, but in our different callings as we try to advance your kingdom. So Lord, help us, God. Um, We're your people um, and we need you. Especially be with those who are discouraged uh, or those who uh, might be having many doubts about different things, about the faith, about their Christian walk, for whatever whatever reason. Uh, may you encourage them and meet them where they are and uh, encourage them to uh, see you as they are. But Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, may you mold our church to be the church community that you want us to be. Thank you that you love us and is guiding us.